Tradition uh, tells us that even if the facts weren't so sure about that when the British Army um, surrendered to the American Army at Yorktown under General Cornwallis that the, the song that the British Army band played was called The World Turned Upside Down, right? Now that was a song that had been used actually in religious purposes about the celebration of Christmas in England long before this, but that phrase goes back to scripture, world turned upside down. That's exactly what the British Army felt like, that the greatest military power in the world had been defeated by this upstart militia group of men who were understaffed, undertrained, undersupplied, didn't have enough to fight this battle, and yet they still won. When we go back to scripture and hear that phrase come to life, it's in Acts chapter 17 where we see in Thessalonica some Christians who are being oppressed. And this is the way, I won't tell the whole story, but this is the way the couple verses go. When the, the, the people opposing Christianity couldn't find the Christians, they dragged Jason and some believers before the city authorities shouting, these people who have been turning the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has entertained them as guests. They are all acting contrary to the decrees of the emperor, saying there is another king named Jesus. So these people see the, the Christians and say, man, they're turning the world upside down. Why? Well, because in the Roman Empire, there's one king, and his name is Caesar, the emperor. And the Christians were saying, there's a new king, and his name is Jesus. And from that point forward, Jesus really has turned the world upside down. And even for us, there are times when we read what Jesus says, and it challenges us. It challenges some of the presuppositions that we carry into life, some of the things that, that we operate by. And we hear Jesus speak to us, and we go, wow, i got to rethink how I'm approaching life, how I'm treating my family, how I'm interacting with people at church or at work, how I'm spending my money. And, and it is difficult for us to face some of that, and yet it's good for us to allow Scripture, especially the teaching of Jesus, to challenge us to be the people that He's called us to be. Now again, sometimes that's not very easy. Today we begin this series that we're calling Upside Down, and we're going to hear from Jesus in each one of these lessons from the Gospel of Mark and allow Jesus to challenge us and maybe turn our world upside down. You know, to be transparent, as a Christian leader, and we have other leaders in our church, whether they're staff or elders, leading ministry teams, whatever it may be, one of the things that I think Christian leaders have in common is when somebody starts coming to church, like immediately we go, I wonder what they'd be good at, right? We see a family come in and they have two teenage kids and they feel, it seems like they know what's going on in life. And you go, man, the youth leaders are going, man, they would be awesome in our ministry. Or a businessman starts coming to church and the elders are thinking, that guy would make a really good elder. Or somebody comes in, she can sing and play an instrument and the worship leaders are going, jackpot, we've got somebody. And it's because there are so many needs and so many things that we want to accomplish, and all, not always enough people, right? And so sometimes we focus in on what people can do. And they can become valuable to the church based on their abilities, based on their willingness to do something, based on their accomplishments. But the truth is, that's not just us, right? I mean, we all feel that. Our world feels that a little bit. We like to be surrounded by people who are talented and accomplished and can do something. We are right in the middle of this Olympics, right? A week done, a week to go. It's about celebrating what people can do. And we, 
We sort of make heroes out of some of these people because of their accomplishments, because of their abilities. And when they don't live up to what we think they should be doing, sometimes we don't think as much of them. It's just the way it works. The question is, is that the way Jesus sees people? Is that the way he would have his followers see people? Today, to get at that, I want us to look at two short stories that we find in Mark chapter 10. If you read through Mark chapter 10, what I think you'll find is that sometimes Luke organizes things that Jesus did around topics and issues, not just what happened chronologically, it's just the way he tells a story. We see that at work throughout this chapter, but especially in these two short incidents that we see. So, Mark chapter 10, we find Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. Now, Jesus is going to Jerusalem for a reason. Remember, he has said, I've come to preach the kingdom of God. And he's going to be king. And his disciples are sensing that this is all sort of coming to a head. The culmination is right in front of them. And if Jesus is going to be proclaimed king, Jerusalem is the place that he'll be crowned because that's the capital. Okay, that's where he's going to take on the powers of the world. And so they are ready to walk with him into this and see all that he'd been talking about come to fruition. So he's traveling there. And, and then we read this. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. Now, this would not have been uncommon, okay? It, it would have been really normal for people. And the words that are used here may mean parents, but actually more likely means like older siblings bringing young children to Jesus. And a teacher, a religious leader, would place their hand on that child's head and they would pronounce a blessing from God on this child. So it happened all the time. But Jesus' disciples aren't very excited about this. We've got to remember the place of children in the ancient world. In some cultures, men children were seen as you just owned them. They were just commodities, right? And so if you had a bunch of kids and one more is born, you might just take them out in the desert and leave them there. Don't feed them. Don't get attached. We've got too many mouths to feed. You just let them die. Now, the Jews did not practice that, but children still didn't have the special place in the culture and in our families that they have now. And certainly in this moment, it seems evident to me that the disciples... And they're looking at Jesus saying, we got work to do. And these kids all gathering around Jesus, whether it's with parents or older siblings or whatever, they're just in the way. Like Jesus is getting distracted from the real work of the kingdom by all these kids who just suddenly showed up. And so they're shooing them away. They don't want these kids to bother Jesus. They don't want these kids to slow Jesus down, to get in the way of what he's trying to accomplish. But that's not how Jesus sees it. Verse 14. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And my guess is the disciples were indignant about all these kids, but Jesus is indignant with the disciples. And he said to them, the disciples, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter into it. And he took, his, he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. Jesus says, hang on. Bring the kids to me. 
And these kids that the disciples see as an inconvenience, as a nuisance, Jesus says, bring them here. And he looks at the disciples, not the kids. You've got to receive the kingdom like they do. The kingdom was made for people just like this. And I can imagine the disciples in that moment saying, hang on, Jesus. Like, we left everything for you. Jesus, we walked away from boats and nets, the tax collector station. We left everything that made us money, gave us notoriety, gave us position. We left it all for you. And for three years, we've been following you. And Jesus, that, shouldn't that give us some kind of seniority? Doesn't that give us a special place? I mean, Jesus, we're leaders. We got, we got stuff we want to accomplish, and we want to be important. We want to be the, the people in the kingdom that everybody looks up to. Read the rest of Mark 10. You'll see that. We've earned something special, and Jesus, we got something to offer you. We know the way you speak, the way you teach. We can carry this on. These kids, what are they going to do for you? They're in the way. Jesus says no. You've got to receive the kingdom like they do. And, and scholars have debated for many, many years, what, what does Jesus mean there? How do we receive the kingdom like kids do? There's lots of talk on that. I, I think it's something to do with the basic fact that you know, when you give a child a gift, they never say, no, no, you shouldn't have, right? I mean, they're all in. Let's rip it open. Let's go, okay? And they don't say, well, let me give you, let me give you something in return. They don't feel obligated to buy you a gift. They just, they just receive the gift with joy. And I think part of what Jesus is saying to the disciples is you've gotten caught up in what you can be in this thing and how important you want to be. And you need to just receive the gift. The gift is not in position. The gift is not what you get to give back. You don't need to feel obligation. It's all about receiving the gift. Now, the disciples would give. And Christians are called to give, but it's a, it's a response to the incredible grace that God has offered us. It's not because we're obligated, it's because we want to. But we've got to receive the gift first. And Jesus is calling them to be like these kids and receive the gift. Now, similar story. Later in the chapter, down in verse 46... Jesus is in Jericho. Jericho is an important city. It's like the summer home of King Herod. Okay, and because of that, there's a little more affluence, a little more wealth there than there is in a lot of small towns in Judea and throughout Palestine. And so Jesus is there, still on the way to Jerusalem, and this is the way this story plays out, beginning in verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, so this bunch of people, were leaving the city, a blind man... Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. 
When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now again, just like the kids asking for a blessing, this too was a commonplace thing. Everybody was used to, at the city gates, there being people who were disabled in some way, begging. Blindness especially was devastating in the ancient world. In a world with no braille, no uh, crosswalks that speak to you, nothing to help them out, no safety net financially, people who were blind were completely dependent on family and on friends. They were also dependent on the kindness of strangers even. And so normally a person who's blind gets up in the morning, they're led to the city gates, hoping that a friend or family member is going to guide them to a place where there's going to be a lot of traffic. They take off their cloak, they sit down, and they beg. And people in the city would, would find virtue in giving to them, so they would be tossed a few coins, and that would be all that they had to survive on. <clears throat> They really can't contribute much to their families or to the town or they're just there to receive. That's Bartimaeus. And so he's begging like he did every day. And someone told him, Jesus is on the way. And he's heard the stories about Jesus. He knows that Jesus can do things that no one else can do. And so his only hope is to just call out. He doesn't know exactly where Jesus is. He certainly can't go up to him, so he just starts calling out. But that was about as popular as those little kids. Verse 48, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, it's a phrase that means the same thing as Messiah, King. David was their greatest king. Jesus was in his lineage. He was claiming to be the king, proclaiming the kingdom of God. It's a phrase that Bartimaeus uses on purpose. He's saying Jesus is a person of power. He's not just Jesus from Nazareth. He's Jesus, son of David. But just like the kids, the crowd looks around and says, man, this guy's a nuisance. He's an interruption. He's a distraction from what Jesus is doing. Jesus is leaving Jericho, heading toward Jerusalem. He's on a mission, the kingdom of God, and this guy's in the way. He's distracting everybody from what Jesus really needs to accomplish. So be quiet, Bartimaeus. We don't have time for this. Not now. Verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, you're on your feet. He's calling for you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. This is his chance. This is the moment. He leaves behind his cloak, which is probably his most valuable possession. It's what keeps him warm. It's what he sits on during the day, what he covers up with at night when he goes to bed. None of that matters. He's just dependent on somebody to take him to Jesus, and he is ready to go. And to me, this is where the story gets really interesting because verse 51, Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. And why did Jesus ask? I mean, we know that Jesus has insight into people that no one does. He's God, right? He knows what the man needs. Why does he ask? He, 
He can see the man's blind. He's got people walking him around. He wants Bartimaeus to say it, to verbalize, to speak this need. And he does. Now, for everyone around Bartimaeus and Jesus, the request would have seemed impossible. In a day before ophthalmologists, opticians, optometrists, all that stuff, it doesn't matter if you just got nearsightedness, you're not going to see well. There's no help for you. This guy's blind. Nobody gives sight to the blind. It doesn't happen. And yet, Jesus says, what do you want? And Bartimaeus asked the impossible. This interruption, inconvenience, distraction. This man says, I want to be able to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now one of the things that's interesting about this story There's a lot that's going on there. He's the only person in the book of Mark who gets healed. And Jesus heals various people from various maladies, okay? Lots of disabilities that Jesus deals with in in all the Gospels, but certainly in Mark. Jesus is always on the move, always acting in Mark. Bartimaeus is the only person who gets a name. Everyone else remains anonymous to us. There are a man, a woman in this town, in that city, with this child. Nobody's named except Bartimaeus. Now, why is that? My guess is that the reason he names Bartimaeus is because the people that Mark was writing to, that he knew would read this first, would recognize the name. He knew they would know him. My guess is Bartimaeus Part of the early church, maybe in Jerusalem. My guess is Bartimaeus is probably a leader in the church. But in this moment, everyone looking at Bartimaeus would say, he's got nothing to offer. Yeah, look at these guys who have been with Jesus for three years. They know the story. They're going to be part of this thing. Bartimaeus... He's just a distraction. But who does Jesus take time for? In these two stories, Jesus takes time for the children who could offer him nothing and the man who's blind who could offer him nothing. And I think there's a great lesson for us in this story that God values the people that the world ignores. I mean, that's the way it works, right? God values people that the world ignores. Over and over in Scripture, Old Testament and New, we find God paying attention to the people that everyone else would say, man, they're in the way. And these two stories are no exceptions. And I think there's a lesson for us in this. That when we look at people, sometimes we get caught up with what we think they can offer to us, what we think they can do for the church. And instead of all that, And certainly we want people to serve in the church. It's a blessing to serve. But it's not just about filling slots. Instead, if we take Jesus and allow him to turn upside down the way that we feel and think about people, 
maybe we'll be less concerned about what they can do for us and more concerned about what we can do for them. You see, Jesus didn't look at people and say, well, this person has value because he can be a great teacher. This person has value because she can be a great leader. This person has musical ability. This person can teach all those things. Maybe they could, but that's not why they had value. They had value because God made them. And it's so clear when we look at the story of Jesus that he didn't die for a select few. He doesn't go to the cross for the people who can give him something back. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. All of us. No matter what we can do or what we can't do, the good news is for us. And so, for us, the church, yeah, we all need to be serving. But you know, your value to this body, to this group of Christians, this community of faith, is not what you bring to the table. Our value is just in fact in, involved in the fact that we're invited to the table. The table will celebrate in just a minute. Every single one of us. Equal footing. Nobody's more important than anyone else. No one gets a special seat at that table. We're all together. All the same. All sinners. All broken. All needing Jesus and all invited. Let's pray together. God, help us to see each other like you see us. Not as some being more valuable than others because of what they can do or what they have done, but created by you, loved by you, valuable to you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.